Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, and welcome to Why Do You Think You've Got No Friends? My name is Emily Lang. I'm an actress, writer, singer, codependent, addict, and a recovering everything. And this is the Rock Bottom podcast where we discuss the white knuckle moments when we thought it was over and how we clawed our way back to sanity and light from the absolute pits of despair. Here we go. Rehab. (laughs) I don't know why this feels so funny to talk about. I think probably because you feel so cut off when you're there. It's like experiencing another world. And so in discussing it, I feel like I'm revealing the divine secrets of primary care. Of course, I am not mentioning any people or places by name. That's incredibly confidential and I'm respecting anonymity, apart from my own. At this point, there's so little that you don't know that honestly I have no reason to care. We used to laugh a lot about how rehab would be the worst reality show ever. So much going on, so much dirt getting dished in group therapy, but all completely confidential. The place with the most drama and none of it can be revealed most frustrating TV ever. So when you picture rehab, honestly, what do you see? I'm sure it's different for everyone. I can barely remember the days leading up to being admitted, so I don't know what I was expecting, but a lot of people have asked me about the amenities. Like, um, was there a sauna, a steam room, hydrotherapy pool, monsoon shower? There seems to be an expectation that I was processing deep unresolved trauma having just stepped out of a cryogenic chamber, rolling into group therapy in a collagen cocoon. I am not denying the privilege of having the opportunity to go to rehab. I am incredibly lucky and it saved my life, no doubt. But trust me, it is not a wellness retreat to the Aman Antelope Canyon. Rehab is not a place you want to end up. Not that that's a newsflash. (laughs) If you've listened to episode one, you'll know that my particular facility was in rural Spain, but that's as far as I'll go with location to keep something secret. But it sets a scene. Rural Spain, hills, lots of avocado trees. It's January, so it's not particularly hot, but the sun is shining. I step off the plane dressed like one of the kids from Stand By Me completely wrecked and disassociated. 
I looked like I was auditioning to be one of the orphans in a bad production of Annie. Someone could make some real money with a before and after rehab glow up segment. (laughs) Going into primary care is a tough decision. And I think the majority of people will agree with me when I say that you only go when you have literally no other option. Absolute rock bottom. Like I said, this is not a wellness retreat. I was greeted at the airport by a man who had a sign with a fake name on it to protect my anonymity. I mean, by that point, I was so devoid of care, he could have been riding a float and holding a banner with my passport on it, but I appreciated the sentiment. Entering the compound, passing some big gates and wire fences, there was a sign that said, You are a miracle. I have never wanted to destroy anything so badly in my whole life. Stupid fucking sign. What do you know? Thought I, so full of rage and self-loathing and still frantically pummeling the now defunct self-destruct button. Now, when I say rehab is not a wellness retreat... I'm assuming at a wellness retreat, you are not subjected to watching two strangers go through your luggage with an almost painstaking tenacity and question if you should be allowed your hairbrush because it's quite spiky. (laughs) Basically, everything that is not clothes or a toothbrush is taken away. No phone, no music, no cigarettes, no sugar, no caffeinated coffee, nothing mood-altering. You're not allowed books. Books! The only things that you are allowed to read are books that are specifically prescribed by a therapist. The idea being that there is zero distraction or escape. You have to sit with everything that's coming up for you and process it. So if you happen to find yourself in the absolute pits of crisis, which is a daily occurrence, by the way, the only thing you can turn to is the big book of AA or Codependent No More by Melody Beattie, which is essentially like being punched in the face by your bad relationship choices. It is not a wellness retreat. Also, there is a common misconception that the only reason one might enter rehab is to get clean from booze or drugs, etc. And sort of Rachel getting married 28 days narrative. Not always the case. I went into rehab because I had a total nervous breakdown. Every inch of my deeply repressed trauma finally caught up with me and I was completely catatonic. And I should put that on my hinge profile. Entering primary care can be for a variety of reasons. I've had some people ask me exactly what I was addicted to that meant I was forced into recovery. And when I say love, they often look very confused. Sometimes they slowly back away. Dropping the rehab bomb and seeing the reaction is a fun game I like to play. So if you want a basic day in rehab, it's sort of like this. Wake up 7.30ish decaffeinated coffee, yoga at eight for an hour, an hour of tranquil serenity, which my head always took as the perfect opportunity to play back my finest moments of humiliation in glorious technicolor. I'm really stressed at being mindful. Breakfast at nine, more decaffeinated coffee, group therapy at 10 for three hours. Now this may seem like a lot, but it actually never felt like enough. I won't discuss what went on in there because this story doesn't only belong to me, but it was three hours and I drank a lot of decaffeinated coffee and I made a game of pretending really hard that it was real. Lunch at one and then the afternoons varied. Sometimes one-on-one therapy, gym, art therapy, 
mainly me face planting in paint and smearing it over a bit of paper and then being asked how I feel about the color blue. Writing therapy. I like this one. I started writing the first episode of this in one of those sessions. Equine therapy. A funny one. (laughs) And I understand it in theory. Horses are pack animals and tend to mirror and respond to the emotions of those around them. The theory being that if you're in an absolute state and maybe repressing it or you have difficulty expressing yourself, the horse will basically out how you're actually feeling. There are definite benefits to equine therapy. It helps you look outside of yourself, be responsible, have empathy, adjust. But when you're stood in a sandpit with two Shetland ponies who are biting each other and being told that it's a representation of your relationship with your brothers, it's a little bit hard to engage. Shetland ponies are notorious little shits and they bite a lot, but on the bright side, I really perfected my earnest nod of agreement. (laughs) And look, I'm not disputing it. It is helpful, but I've got to laugh at something and really all I wanted to do with the Shetlands was treat them like massive dogs and cry into their hair. On Tuesdays and Thursdays, we got phone time for an hour. This induced more anxiety than the rest of the week combined fucking Twitter. Dinner was at seven, probably more decaffeinated coffee after that. And at eight, there was usually some kind of Zoom fellowship meeting. This was always fun, a little insight to the outside world. Then I made overly sweet tea. We were allowed brown sugar for tea. Then I stared at the fences marking the rehab perimeter and I fantasized about scaling them to live amongst the avocado trees and rabbits. This was the cycle of rehab. A little bit like being on a hamster wheel, but with a lot of soul-searching and tears. I am incredibly grateful. It really did save my life. It gave me a ton of perspective. I was diagnosed. I understood my diagnoses. I'm now able to handle triggers and anxiety, knowing where they come from, and knowing that I am not my feelings, and not everything I'm telling myself is strictly gospel. It's a start. Going into primary care for an allotted amount of time does not completely fix you. You don't come out the other side wielding suitcases and singing I have confidence in sunshine, but it's a start. The work is ever continuing. But it taught me to take better care of myself. I've been sober for over six months now. I don't identify as an alcoholic, which may seem strange because I am an addict, but one doesn't strictly mean the other. But I had been abusing alcohol to the point it made me sick, so I choose not to drink it now. And it doesn't do my emotional state any good. I found joy in the small things. We got popcorn on a Saturday night, and my God, the uproar when it was forgotten. You don't even like popcorn, said therapist to client number one. It's the principle, client number one shouted back. I also met people who watched me scream and cry with zero judgment. And later, when I apologized for it, they said, you think that's bad? But it was tough. It was really tough. And there were times when I wanted to quit. Once I found a hole in the fence and thought about escaping until a therapist who'd been watching me from the top of the hill shouted that there were Alsatian dogs roaming on the next door farm and I'd be better off staying put. I am so lucky that I was saved. So lucky that I had the opportunity to go somewhere and get help. I was at the absolute end. But it's hard. It is so, so hard. And I never want to do it again. 
It's great impetus for keeping my shit together. I never want to stare at fences again. I never want to stand in a riding school with two Shetlands unless it's absolutely under my terms. I never, ever want to get to the point of imploding ever again. And if I never see another fucking decaffeinated coffee, (laughs) I'll see you next time. Don't forget to rate and subscribe. A new episode coming at you every Tuesday. Send your stories or get in touch at contact at whydoyouthink.com. I'll see you soon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.